Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. This is a business that is about route density and customer density. So as we grow our business and we're more efficient, we will create leverage of that revenue through to the bottom line. In order to grow, brands are always looking for new ways to reach and retain an audience. Paying close attention to distribution strategy and consumer trends can be critical to building a rock solid business. Do you think about our business? We say that we are recession resistant. So our revenue really is a function of the ongoing service we provide to customers, refilling those empty bottles with full. The business and the recurring nature, frankly, is supported by the multiple tailwinds in our business, which is consumer concern with aging water infrastructure, and then the shift away from sugary sweetened beverages to healthier products like mine. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Making a decision to transition from a successful soda brand into a water company certainly comes with some perceived risks, but it can also open the door for commercial expansion and innovation. Today's guest was able to make that shift seamlessly. Today, we get to sit down with Tom Harrington, Chief Executive Officer of Primo Water, which trades under the symbol PRMW. Tom took the post in the beginning of 2019, and prior to that, he served as the CEO of Primo's North American Business Unit after the acquisition of DS Services in December of 2014. Before the acquisition, Tom served in various roles with DS Services, including CEO, President, and COO. Prior to joining DS Services, Tom served in various roles with Coca-Cola Enterprises, including VP and General Manager of the New York and Chicago Divisions. I talked to Tom about the evolution of Primo Water and the investments they made into developing their service-based model. Let's enter the arena with Tom Harrington. We enjoy a business that provides healthy hydration to thirsty consumers. We approach the consumer a number of different ways. We have a water direct business where I would provide large format, three or five gallon bottles direct to your home or office. I would also provide service to large retailers where you could exchange a bottle, bring your empty bottle, exchange it for a full bottle in store. We also have a refill business, which is both outdoor machines and indoor machines where you could bring an empty container, typically one gallon for refill at many of those same retail locations. Maybe give us a sense of the scale of the business. What does the global footprint look like? And even more importantly, what is the business model? 
Yeah, we service customers in 21 countries in North America, Europe, and Israel. We service approximately 2.2 million what we call water direct customers. That's where my route associates deliver directly to your home or office. Uh, we service uh, approximately 24,000 exchange locations where, again, that customer could replace an empty with a full 20 plus thousand refill machines. And our model is, in fact, razor, razor blade. So we sell water dispensers to both brick and mortar and e-commerce retailers and then provide the water service in one of our platforms once a consumer buys a water dispenser. We were pleased with our performance in 2022 as that we enjoyed sell-through of uh, just under a million dispensers in 2022 through those brick-and-mortar and e-commerce customers. Even more interesting, too, is the recurring revenue nature of the business. Maybe talk about recurring revenue as part of, of your overall mix, Tom. Yes, you think about our business, we, we, we say that we are recession-resistant. So our revenue comes from those three sources we talked about, but it really is a function of the ongoing service we provide to customers filling, refilling those empty bottles with full. The business and the recurring nature, frankly, is supported by the multiple tailwinds in our business, which is consumer concern with aging water infrastructure, which is all the rage these days. You read about it every day, as well as consumers' ongoing and developing concerns about healthy hydration and the shift away from sugary soft drinks or sugary sweetened beverages to healthier products like mine. It's one thing to execute at a micro level within your business and then to have secular tailwinds behind the business. But how has the business itself changed over the last few years? We really think about our business today as about three years old. So in March of 2020, we combined what was formerly the Cot Company with the legacy Primo business. And that Cot Company had transformed away from sugary soft drinks and exited those business, exited a coffee business, and really had only remaining a water direct business, largely the DS services business in the U.S., we combined that in 2020 when we acquired Primo Legacy Business, which is the razor, razor blade model in terms of the ability to sell dispensers at retail, as well as with that came the exchange business and the refill business. So we've created a pure play water company and a platform of healthy hydration that addresses you know, the consumer tailwinds we talked about before, concern about tap water and obviously concerned about healthy hydration. I think every, every business is becoming a tech-driven business, and Primo is no different. Talk a little bit about e-commerce efforts and also other technology you're incorporating into the operations of the business. Yeah, we're fortunate. We own a website called water.com, <laughs> which is a, a natural place when consumers are looking for water solutions. We've also invested in a mobile app, which is My Water Plus. Really, our objective is make it easier for our existing customers to do business with us and develop that app as well as to use it to attract new customers. We've also made some investments on digital across a number of our URLs where we've replatformed to really make it easy for consumers to find us 
And then once you start the service, is that's an easy place, a current place for consumers to interact and really become an easy to find solution, an easy to execute solution as it relates to your hydration needs. You've spent a lot of time allocating resources to greater efficiency in your supply chain. Maybe talk a little bit about those investments and how they're translating into your financial statements. Yeah, we've made a a couple of investments. One that we referenced a couple of quarters ago as ARO, which is Automatic Route Optimization. And really what it does is provides our route sales reps or the drivers with the most effective and efficient way to go from point to point on their route. Our business benefits and frankly leverages customer density, which means route density. So the ARL solution has enabled us to reduce mileage on the route, which does in fact create incremental EBITDA margin for us. But it also is part of our ESG story, which does reduce the use of diesel and or propane fuel as we you know, take care of our customer base. That's one example. Another example of investments that we're making, and it's actually happening in real time as we're, we're currently installing a new production line in our Los Angeles plant, is a modern, more high-tech solution for production. And that will enable us to do a couple of things. It will reduce the cost because it's a more efficient line than we currently have in place, but it also reduces wastewater and water usage, which again plays to our ESG story about, yes, we want to be effective and efficient, but we're very focused on being responsible and an ESG leader over the long haul. You have solutions, obviously, to a lot of these issues you see every day in the papers. You mentioned like a rising frequency of water scarcity and and those type of uh, crises. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, we source water from three different places, right? So we do use municipal water. We do have wells on site, and we do have a network of springs around our footprint. We own roughly 30% of those sources, and we also are members of the Alliance for Water Stewardship, which for us is about being responsible around the watershed and water use. So if you think about it from the, from the point of where we get it all the way through to the route, we're trying to be as effective and efficient as we can be and responsible stewards of the environment. And then in terms of new product offerings or partnerships, uh, Tom, I read a little bit about Water Your Way and, uh, and that platform and also uh, your Costco relationship. Maybe you can kind of touch on both of those. Yeah, there's a couple. We've, we've recently introduced a product called Primo Plus, which is a 9.5 pH at point of bottling alkaline solution. And uh, we would expect to see that in more retail locations coming to a town near you soon. And it really is our way to respond to a high growth category inside bottled water, which is the alkaline portion. We've also extended our longstanding relationship with Costco for another five years, and it has been extended on an exclusive basis. And what that means is uh, we don't sell product packages inside of Costco, but we do have what we call in-store events where we solicit Costco members to start the water service. And it's been a meaningful contributor to our customer acquisitions over the last years. About roughly 25% of our new customer acquisitions will come from our relationship with Costco. 
Tom, I know that sitting here in the beginning of 2023, it's impossible to avoid the inflation conversation. Talk about how the company's positioned to deal with a prolonged inflationary period potentially and how you can offset that. Our key inputs, if you think about inflation, are labor, fuel, and freight. And we've addressed the cost of labor across, you know, if you think about the key largest number of heads that we have in our company, our route sales reps, we addressed that in 2022. I'm happy to say that we're something on the order of 98 or 99% staffed, which says that our compensation plan, our adjustment to inflation has worked and produced a desired outcome. We've also learned that our pricing is elastic. And our pricing is elastic because of our years of focus on the customer experience and service. It could be the digital investments we chatted about earlier, but it also is about the experience they have with our route sales rep. And are we servicing the customer, as, as I've referenced in the past, on time in full? Did I get to your home? Did I get to the retail location with everything you expected the day or time of day that you expected? All of those, frankly, are driving, you know, enabling our ability to be elastic here. Hopefully, inflation settles down, uh, but we'll continue to act as appropriate, investing in growth through digital, investing in the appropriate levels of service and taking pricing as needed to offset inflation should it continue into 23, which obviously it will for the near term. As the economy ebbs and flows, an effective implementation of elastic pricing and supply efficiencies have allowed Primo to stabilize their business and improve EBITDA margins over time. I asked Tom about the different components that helped Primo get there. If you went back a little bit further, the EBITDA margin in this business would have been less than 10, roughly 9. Wow. And it, and it really was fundamental to our decision to transform our company from what was a private label sugary soft drink, sugary beverage to provide it to a pure play water platform. And so we went from nine to low teens and have now are now approaching 20% EBITDA margin and, you know, have a forecast that gets, you know, in 2024 in the neighborhood of 21% EBITDA margin, which is a function of an outcome of all the investments we've made clearly, both on the growth trajectory with things like Costco, certainly our investments about improving are becoming more efficient and effective, as well as this is a business that is about route density and customer density. So as we grow our business and we're more efficient, we will create leverage of that revenue through to the bottom line. And we, you know, I think we now have a track record where you can see us consistently delivering the top through the bottom. What are the benefits, which sometimes I assume are underappreciated of being a pure play water company? Well, it's the opportunity for us is to really focus on the razor and the razor blade. Right, so we we are have a developed approach and a lot of experience in delivering the razor blade through to brick and mortar and e-commerce. It's hard to replicate that, and we have you know call it a decade plus of experience with that side of the equation. We've been in the water direct business for a long time in various formats, and what this enables us to do is really focus our investments our leadership energy, and our strategies against a category that we know will continue to grow. 
supported obviously by a number of tailwinds, which, you know, support that growth, but also confirm that our decision to transform into a focus on water was the right one to do for shareholders. And when you think about your competitors and peers, is that kind of how you're differentiated from them, that peer play? Or what else is in play when you're talking to investors or, or other stakeholders? Yeah, if you think about our business, we are in a large format, environmentally responsive bottled water business, right? So we exited a year or so ago the single-use retail bottled water business. And that is, you know, to support and then further focus our energy on the razor razor blade, but the razor blade in environmentally, more environmentally responsible solutions. It's always been our in our DNA. And we think that's one of the ways that differentiates us. And then, of course, we have the opportunity to take the model that's most progressed in North America and then transfer those experience to European countries because they, too, have a need for healthy hydration and they're they, they may arguably may be more focused on the environmental benefits of our solution compared to others. How about M&A? How do you f- philosophically approach M&A? I know you've been active over the years with tuck-ins and things like that. Is it a super fragmented industry? Yeah, so we say M&A is in our DNA. Uh, <laughs> we, we've done well over 100 since 2014. And we generally think of M&A as customer list acquisitions. Some refer to them as tuck-ins, some refer to them as fill-ins, but we will focus our energy on those tuck-ins because they do add customer density, which drives route density, which helps us build our increasing EBITDA margin. If you think about the business in in North America, uh, there are two large players in this space, but roughly 40% of the industry is made up of, you know, smaller operators in every town in America, and usually two or three. So they would, frankly, be the types of customers that we seek to acquire. And very similar, if you go to Europe, it's very similar. You know, we're the largest player in this space in Europe with with an aggregated market share of about 20%. So there's lots of opportunities there to also consolidate the industry in Europe. And we'll look to do that in our existing footprint largely. All good management teams, Tom, as you know, are great stewards of capital. When you sit around as a management team and board, how do you think about capital allocation? Yeah, if you think about our uh, current approach, we're, we're leveraged at roughly 3.5 times. So over the course of the next two to three years, we will deleverage to under two and a half times. And that is from EBITDA growth, right? So our current debt... Uh, maturities are in 2028 and 2029, roughly average about 4% interest rate. So we will leave those set right there based on the current credit markets. We think it's uh, it's prudent to do so. We have increased our dividend over the last two years, and we'll continue to do that into uh, next year, which is another mechanism for us to return cash to shareholders. The last component of the plan is we announced a $100 million share repurchase plan in Q3 of 2022. And we've spent roughly through the end of 22 about $24 million of that. So we have another $76 million in the next nine months, if you will, of 23 to, you know, opportunistically uh, return cash to shareholders through a share buyback. Yeah, it seems like a super balanced approach. You must be feeling pretty good about things. We think we're, we're hitting all the marks about the appropriate capital 
deployment today. The other piece I didn't mention is we had announced in 2021 a step up in our capital investment. So we're going to spend an incremental $150 million in 22, 23, and 24. We've tempered that to $110 million over that three-year period, or said another way, what would have been $50 million in 23 and $50 million in 24 is now $30 million for a couple of reasons, largely because we're seeing the benefit of the investments we've made today, and we're, we're happy with where we are, and we think over the course of time we'll return our CapEx as a percent of revenue closer to 7% than its current run rate. So it's another way for us to, to fund and deploy and return uh, capital to shareholders. One thing we didn't talk about is kind of the super macro environment, all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, including uh, China. I know that there was a tariff rollback on Chinese goods. How did that impact your business? So the, the tariff was a $16 million headwind to us, roughly half in capital and half in cost of goods, right? Because we capitalize cores that we rent, you know, water direct business, and we sell, therefore, the uh, part of that tariff goes into cost of goods for the dispensers that we sell. The tariff was relieved on November 6th. So we will get that benefit in 2023 and beyond. But it's important to know that in, on the cost of goods side, which is roughly half of the $16 million, we would expect to roll that back into lower prices. So we actually expect to have deflation on the price of a dispenser, likely towards the end of 23 because of current inventory levels, both mine and retailers. Uh, and then on the CapEx side, that that would come back to us over time as we buy new equipment. We just have to manage the inventory properly to make sure that, you know, the tariff the equipment goes out at the right price. And, you know, we want, we want to be obviously prudent and intelligent about how we do that. My last question, Tom, and I always ask this to everyone, when you sit down with investors, when people kind of don't maybe understand the Primo story or don't understand the true value in the business, what do you think they miss? Yeah, I think they miss that we're a pure play water business, that we have a recurring, predictable top-line growth trajectory that's high single digit, that we are a business that approaches you know, 21% EBITDA margin with pretty stellar free cash flow conversion over the course of our out years, in that sometimes we get confused. I think shareholders misunderstand us as the legacy primo business. It's a just a piece of what we do and the old cop business. So sometimes it, it's who we ain't, excuse my improper grammar, but really who we are. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, the opportunity here as an example to really begin to articulate who we are, not who we were. And we're pretty excited about our future. And we think shareholders will be over time as they better understand, you know, how we fit, particularly in the current environment. Primo's pure play business model provides customers with various convenient, sustainable ways to access an essential product. That reach improves retention and route density, both contributing to the scale of the business. This surefire strategy continues to help them make acquisitions and attract investors. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. 
The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Tom Harrington for coming on the show today. There's a lot of great ways to grow your company, but Prima has refined its formula and as a result has a very unique business model. I'm looking forward to seeing their continued progress down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.